Welcome to Sermon Underwear, a podcast where we look at the stories, situations, and conversations that lead up to the sermons preached here at First Lutheran. This is Pastor Brian. Pastor Perry. Father Tom. Welcome back, Father Tom. This week we're looking at uh, the text for Palm Sunday, and again out of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And we'll make a little jump and look at a uh, small part of chapter 14 again. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, Near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The anointing at Bethany. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was this ointment wasted in this way? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you. And you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. So it strikes me as I listen to these two texts, is they're really talking about trusting in what's been said that it's necessary that this will be done. So Jesus tells the disciples, go and get this cult, and somebody's going to say to you, what are you doing with that? I mean, you're like stealing it? You're just taking this? We're, yeah, we can't do that. But Jesus says, it's okay. You know, they'll, they'll, let, you, they'll let you have it, and we'll, we'll bring it back when we're done. So a future thing uh, that they just have to trust is the right thing that's happening. And the same thing with the woman who uh, anoints Jesus. Again, nobody else knows what's going on. She's anointing Jesus, in a sense, for his death. Um, but again, she's doing it, maybe not even knowing the reason why, but she's doing it uh, as a preparation for Jesus' death. 
So bring that forward to today. And we are being told to um, stay apart from each other, to do the social distancing, to wash our hands, and to do all these things that we really, uh, for a, a bug or a virus that we can't see, that we just can't really understand. And in the in the future, it will make a difference and we'll see more clearly what we have done and how that has hopefully made an impact or didn't make an impact. Obviously, we won't ever know for sure what has happened because of it, um, but we trust that what we're doing today is important for tomorrow. That is good. That'll preach, as they say. I just have found this, you know, I, I have the image of, of Palm Sunday in my head. And, uh, you know, what's wonderful is those those musicals from the 70s, Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell have all these, I think they both have these wonderful depictions of, of Jesus's entering, but they, I think they both, so when I, when I, when I'm thinking about this text, I think about like, all these people putting the palms down, but I forget sort of this heist, uh, this little caper that happens at the beginning. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, uh, that really sticks out to me that I didn't, I, I hadn't seen, or I guess I, I think it always surprises me that there's just more to this story than, than sort of this, this very cinematic shot of Jesus coming down. Uh, I always imagine it, I guess he might be, coming up into Jerusalem. No. Yeah. But yeah, there's this, there's, he has an ask. He has a, he, he asks his followers to, to do this for him. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he needed a ride, but. Yeah. There's, there's, so there's a lot of imagery going on in this text and uh, before we jump into that, maybe uh, the thing that stuck out to me that the tie between these two texts is confusion, I guess, in the mm -hmm. first part about um, there was some confusion about behind why Jesus was entering in such a way and uh, the understanding or what people may have thought they were celebrating and why Jesus was, in fact, coming in in this way, which we've got some speculation we can talk about here in a minute. But And then in that second passage there, confusion as well as to why he's being anointed in such a way. And what comes through to me in both of these kind of ties back to the message last week a little bit too about God's word. You can trust his word um, that it, or you could say you can trust that it does what it says. In fact, he hands it over to the disciples here as if to say, here's a key, you know, here, when you run into a locked door or what looks like a, a dead end, you can use my word here. And it, it is interesting how people find them untying it and they hand over the words that Jesus gave to them and they say, okay, take it away. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a strange scene there. The The words Hosanna, if I remember right, is uh, the Lord saves or he saves. <laughs> and what are you thinking? I'm just thinking about last year when we did, uh, we did this and we were talking about uh, for the children's message, Hosanna. And the one kid thought it was Ho-Santa. Ho-Santa. <laughs> yes. Ho-Santa. Which would be stop, Santa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> an added layer of confusion on top of yeah. everything going on here. So this idea that they're looking for Jesus to come and save them, to rescue them, 
Um, he's going to be like our ancestor, David. I always think of it's sort of like everybody shouting out, yes, here comes Jesus. He's going to make us a great nation again. He's going to be um, a powerful leader. He'll he'll take care of those pesky Romans. And all the while, the, the other strange part about it is Jesus coming in on a donkey or a colt here. Very atypical for this sort of parade this time of year where typically um, you would have on the other end of the city Pilate coming in on a, a stallion or a horse to show his war power and authority or eyes compare it to. It'd be like on one end of town, you've got a military parade with tanks and everything. And then on the other end of town, you've got this farm animal that Jesus is coming. So you've got Jesus riding in on a tractor on the opposite end of mm. town and kind of the me- the messages that those two parades would send about what's going on here. So while everybody's excited about who they think Jesus is, even some of Coming from the Mount of Olives is a place that uh, was often a place that was rushed off to for defeat. So when uh, Absalom, David's son, was defeated by David after he tried to take over the ancient kingdom, he, he runs away to the Mount of Olives. So it's a strange place for um, rescue coming out of this place that's often thought of as where the, the loser, if you will, runs away to. Kind of a neat imagery mm-hmm. there, too. One of the, I, I have a couple, I have a couple sort of angles at this. One of the things that both of these um, stories have, and Jesus always does this, and it's a real pain in the butt, but he always, like, you have these expectations, and, the, and certainly these people and the Palm Sunday parade have expectations, like, this is the Messiah, he's going to come in like David, it's kind of like, I, I mean, I, dare I say, it's sort of like a Terminator Messiah <laughs> type of type of feel. Yeah. And um, we who have been through uh, Holy Week before know that it has a, a different conclusion than what folks who feel like uh, the ants. You know, when the when we hear "Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David," if we think that we're going back to something like that then the expectations are undercut. Yes. And and then you see this too. I mean, in I think most Christian, I mean, this one is almost, this one's a little harder for most Christians um, because when we see, um, let's see, the woman who in other gospels is identified as Mary Magdalene, when we see her sort of dump out, what is three, 300 dinar? I mean, it's just like, it's like a year or two or three, it's like a, it's like a huge amount of of wealth for to do this. It's sort of like um, having Dom Perignon just on a random Tuesday night or something. It's just it's okay. You got to help me out with what that. Oh, is. that's like champagne. That's champagne. You okay. know, it's like a super expensive bottle of of champagne, and it maybe you <laughs> maybe you maybe you mix it with. Um, just some orange juice you pick up, you know, the Fairway brand orange juice for, for okay. your mimosa. Sorry, this is the Episcopalian coming out of me. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's but, right. Um, but, but it's just this, it's this thing that, you know, the, when we hear the argument, I mean, we can hear ourselves in this argument, the protests that the apostles bring up. It's like, wouldn't that have been better spent? I mean, couldn't we... You know, use, using maybe a utilitarian mindset, like shouldn't the greatest good go to the greatest number here? Mm, and what yeah. Jesus, what Jesus is saying, I think in this moment is, 
um, they're still not confronting the reality of his death. They're still not saying, they still don't understand that he's going to die. And I think one thing that we, we don't, we might not catch here is, um, you know, when you, when you, when I die and you only have the poor with you, maybe treat them as well as Mary treated me. Mm-hmm. Maybe give them as much dignity as Mary did. You know, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know, the poor are always going to be, you know, I think we might misunderstand that as a harsh, as a harsh thing. You'll always have the poor. There'll always be poor people. I think um, one of the things we might be able to listen for in there is like, oh, maybe instead of just kind of treating like poor people as a, a burden, we can bestow upon them the same dignity that Mary has bestowed upon Jesus. But anyway, both of these um, these little stories have these undercut expectations where it's a swerve, right? We mm-hmm. think Jesus is going to be the next David swerve. He gets executed yep. on the cross. We think Jesus is going to we think Jesus is going to get mad at this woman for for bestowing this abundant dignity, this ostentatious thing on him, and we think you know Jesus' love for the poor is going to is going to, um, you know, make him recoil. But Mary's the only one who's got it figured out, and he wants them. He wants to raise her up as an example. So two yeah. swerves in these. Yeah, I like the swerve idea because I mean it makes me think about I had all these ideas and expectations for my summer and for my life, <laughs> and they've suddenly taken a big swerve, or I don't. I don't know what's going to go. And. Uh, the piece that was sticking out to me when you were talking about, again, in the chapter 14 part here, for you will always have the poor with you, and you can show them kindness whenever you wish to. It's almost, it's almost as if to say there's no law against these things, and you'll always be able to do this, um, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could, which is interesting in light of um, the situation where what she could do is acknowledge what is happening to Jesus while everybody around Jesus is saying, no, something else is going to happen. Or, oh, we know you've told us that you're going to die three times, but now seriously. Whereas the woman has done what she could and acknowledged what Jesus has been saying is going to happen all along. She's anointed my body Mm. before its burial. Um, And so there's something about that that's sticking out to me about that surrender to what God has said is going to be in my hands. And again, that also goes back to, so it's a twofold thing. I mean, it puts to death this idea that I can do something to correct this swerve that you brought up. Uh, And instead says, okay, here we go on this swerve, but Jesus has said it's going to go on a swerve. And he's also said, I will die and be raised. You know, so it's it's sort of like, uh, just stick with me. And so Mm -hmm. she's kind of getting on track with it and saying, okay, I know this is going to happen to you. And so here I am um, acknowledging that, pouring my heart out to you and, uh, and, and acknowledging that you've said that this will happen, um, but also holding on to that promise through it all instead of trying to fight and say, well, that was, we should be doing this instead. You know, <laughs> God knows we've heard all kinds of that sort of speech here lately too. Yeah, I find it, I mean, as I think about the sermons that I preached leading up to this, it seemed like every one was about Jesus' prediction and then the disciples looking for glory. Mm-hmm. You know? yes. And, and mm-hmm. so while the disciples are looking for glory and positions of power and of honor, um, 
this woman got it. She understood it. It hit her, and she's like, oh, my goodness, I need to, I need to do this for Jesus. Um, mm. Because, obviously, this is really close to his death at this point. Really close. We're running out of, is it 16 chapters in Mark? <clears throat> 16 and a half or something? I, just, I, I yeah. will go with that because I feel like I've misquoted that a few times now. I'll, let me be the misquoter <laughs> okay. this time, but... I just knew, I was like, we're running out of runway yeah. here. There's yes. not much time left before. Right. The, the Last Supper is in 14. Okay. So we're, we're there. So it's interesting then in this Holy Week to see the people who are with Jesus, the number of people with Jesus gets smaller and smaller. Yeah. Right? Yes. And then, you know, who wants to... You might hear some parade metaphors in the sermon on, on Sunday, but but who's sticking with the parade? Because sometimes people don't know where the parade stops, but the parade goes all the way to the cross, and you see more and more people getting out of the, getting, you know, putting yeah. down their trombones and putting, you know. Um, yeah, interesting. And so uh, mm-hmm. we can see that we can see fewer and fewer people. And, you know, who's there at the end varies by gospel, but it's much smaller than these large crowds portrayed on on Palm Sunday. So yeah. who's willing to hang in there with this person that everybody called Lord at the beginning? Yeah, I've got this one thought kind of synthesizing between the two the two things that you've both said now that, so the you talked about the swerve that happens in both these texts and that caught me for some reason uh, really in a, in a different way. Um, and then what you're talking about, Perry, with the disciples, um, and wanting it to be all about them. So there's a, kind of a swerve in the context or dialogue with, with Jesus here too, a swerve from it's all about me to the swerve that happens in this woman to it's all about him. Like that's all I can focus on. It's all about mm. him. And that's um, initially not a very attractive thing as we think about wanting glory. We want it all to be about us and everything. It's not an attractive thing until we're put into a situation in which it becomes a very attractive thing to to be drawn to the cross and say ah thank god it's not about me you know and that's uh as you kind of think about this woman here you know it's that that's in some sense her pouring out her heart and saying thank god it's not about me or that it is in his hands one of the things too i mean i love i love this image i mean one of the things that we do in in exegeting is sometimes we put ourselves in the in the position of the story right and we things that we don't have i mean we get so visually stimulated and auditorily stimulated we don't have a lot of smell stimulation but if you can imagine you're at this house in bethany and maybe you're working in the kitchen. Maybe you're maybe you're counting the money that you want to give to the poor. And then all of a sudden, the smell permeates the whole house, and you and you catch that nard, and you're like, "Whoa, that's the good stuff. What is going on? Hmm. Isn't it just Tuesday or something?" <laughs> and um, and and so it's just I I think that that's something that that's I just love this. You know, this is something, this this smell that must have permeated the whole setting. I mean, this is the thing that 
Mm. That this is the sense that we should be having. It's like, wow, what is this? And it's this dignity that that Mary is visiting on Jesus. And then, you know, when we can turn it on its head and you think about on Jesus's death on the cross, the dignity that, I mean, when he pours out his life on the cross, he's pouring on us dignity, just like Mary poured on him. Mm. And uh, I just, I just, you know, we, we sometimes will use incense at the church and I just, there's something about getting all the senses rolling in and we just, you know, with Netflix and all these things, we don't, we, we leave the, we leave the, the, the sense of smell sort of behind. And here we see the gospel kind of claiming. Yeah. yeah I like that. So with that folks, Father Tom will be handing out samples of nard for you to <laughs> smell in your cars and uh, be mailed to you later this week. Right. What's funny is that reminded me of a of a sermon that I did here. Um and and I don't I don't think it was on this one, but it was on um might have been when Mary used hair or whatever. But uh when anybody came into the church, I gave them a shot of that lotion that's in my office, that one bottle that's still there that people will go, man, did you put that lotion on? It's very scented. I went and found the most scented lotion that I could. And every, I put everybody to have it on their hands. And then they could smell it uh, during the service. And one of our ushers during that time went out to get a drink or went to the restroom and came back in and was like, oh, my goodness, it smelled, <laughs> it's just and it smelled so, so much. So um, it kind of worked in that sense. But but when you were in the sanctuary, you got used to the smell mm-hmm. and didn't mm-hmm. notice its, uh, its scent. And once again, I think about how what when we are used to the things that we have, how we take them for granted and we don't notice them. And now during this time frame, again, those those things that we um, cherish and love and want to be doing, we, we can't do them. And how that puts, an, uh, I think, a, a sense of specialness to them or a quality of longing for those, those particular things. I think in the Psalms we hear a lot of imagery, or we hear... We hear people, we hear the psalmist, shall we say, really savoring the experience of the temple. And a lot of times there's smells associated, and we know the sense of smell is, is one that's really tied to memory. And we know that the, you didn't go to the temple for sacrifices as often maybe as we go to church. And you can just tell, like, wow, I get to go to the temple today. I'm, I'm smelling the smell, and um, I'm hearing everything, and I'm seeing I just think, you know, as we are away from our worshiping communities, as we're away from our buildings, we can really resonate. We can, you know, I, I think we should sit in that longing. You know, we should sit in that longing for those for those senses that um, those smells, the way the light comes, the morning light comes through the glass, uh, the sound of our favorite hymns. I mean, I think we can really sit with that longing and know that our our religious predecessors had a similar had a similar thing too yeah. similar longing it's almost like advent it instead is <laughs> of, instead of lent that's right you know that we're that we're waiting yeah for this this time that will come mm. that and we a, know will be here and a piney smell and a piney <laughs> smell exactly we'll have to
to make sure that I get piney, piney lotion. So one question I would have, is there anything in your life, any smell that you ha really have a strong memory tied to it? And I know that can go both ways. I mean, um, positive and, and negative as well. So is there a, a positive smell of something that immediately makes you think of someone or some happy or positive circumstance? Like uh, a smell of chocolate chip cookies makes me think of grandma all the time. So is there a certain smell that comes with it, a positive or hopeful memory for you? Another question I would have, uh, I heard it put this way in a sermon one time, and it, it made me think again of the conversation around the table today, but somebody said, the question with the sermon was, has your love for Jesus ever stunk up the whole place? <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, not that what's happened here is uh, a bad smelling thing, but have, have you ever been in a situation, kind of like for the woman in the story here, where your love for Jesus suddenly got everybody's attention or made things awkward or got their attention and made them say, why, why are they doing that? So has there been a time where your love for Jesus has stunk up the whole place? When was a time when you remember being with Jesus in a large crowd? What was it? What was an occasion when, when you and I don't know, 500 of your closest friends were, 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 we're with Jesus, and remember what that felt like. And then what was an occasion when it was just you and Jesus, where you felt, where you felt Jesus' presence, just you and him, like, like, Mary and, like Mary and Jesus, this, this really, this, this closeness? Because Jesus can feel equally close in both settings, and I think they're both important. Um, and so when was the last time you felt, think of an occasion where you felt that and really live into that memory for a little bit.